I am super thrilled about the next many weeks in front of us. This is going to take us through really the entire summer, right up till fall, where we'll begin uh, something there in September. So we've got a rich time, and we know God's Word tells us it's going to be a profitable time. It can't help but be anything but, right? God's Word is profitable. Excellent. Go ahead and open to James, kind of put it in your lap, take a deep breath. We're going to pause and ask the Lord's favor and assistance. We are desperate for it. We want to kind of express that in prayer. That's why we do such. So let's go before the Lord and ask him for this morning for help, but just really big picture over the next several months for him to be kind and to use his word in mighty ways uh, in and through us. Um, Father God, we do take a moment to pause, not out of a sense of rigidity or coldness or any mechanical fashion. We, we want to approach your throne and, and beseech your faith, face, full of faith, asking and pleading that you would delight to use your word to enact change and transformation in our lives in whatever way you see fit. And that may take on different forms for each person in their own particular context. And that is the beauty of your word in conjunction with your spirit. And that you use these things in real direct, personal, surgical ways uh, to deal with us, to change us, to conform us more into your likeness that our lives would bring you greater glory of which you are infinitely deserving of today. We already thank you now in advance, Lord, for what you will do, the encouragement that you will extend, the ways that you will shape our thinking, ways in which you will rebuke us and grant repentance, the ways in which, Lord, you will show us what it is to walk in a a life that, that is shaped by wisdom from above and not wisdom from below. Lord, we look forward to the ways in which you will give us insight and understanding. I pray for the rest of the men that will teach, give them just a, a rich process of pre- preparation and study. And Lord, may you use them faithfully with power and conviction and clarity. We now pray for this morning as we want to really kind of set the table of what this book is that's in front of us. And we pray that this foundation that is laid would be very, very helpful in the weeks to come as we continue to unpack verse by verse of this great, great book. We give you thanks now and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Like I mentioned, I am excited for this journey. This is where we're going to live for the better part portion of 2023, or at least the spring and summer. And obviously the old adage, you live somewhere long enough and it starts to become a part of you, right? And uh, that's what we want with this book. That's my hope personally over the next few months. I would just give a pastoral caution and, and a loving plea to be careful. Be careful how you approach this journey, okay? And what I mean by this is, is the following. Uh, here at NBC Northlake, we believe in expositional teaching, right? That we teach the whole counsel of God. One of the ways we do that is we joyfully place ourselves under its teaching verse by verse as it was revealed and given to us. And so if we be not careful, what can happen is we can approach this study with a diminished and less than God-honoring sense of expectation. But I know my heart, as well as the rest of the leadership here at Northlake, our heart and prayer is that we would 
gladly link arms together. We would gladly look to God and we would gladly plead with his spirit as we did just a moment ago that he would do great and wonderful things in and through this book. I would ask you as well, and this is more by way of response, just in the way of hermeneutics and interpretation. Why is an introduction to a book helpful and important? Why is an introduction to a book helpful and important? Context, Context. the ding, ding word, right? Star word, what's that? Foundation, okay, anything else? Sets the stage. Excellent. What's involved with that? When we say context and background and setting the stage, I mean, what are some of the, uh, the coat hangers here in the closet that we're talking about? Historical setting. Just the time, okay? Excellent. What else? Culture, setting. Audience. Who on earth is it written to? Wonderful. Anything else, Dad? What's that? Time frame, right? So it was, it was not written in a vacuum. It was written to a real audience, real people, dealing with real things, right? And, and all of that shapes what was going on. It also shapes what that message was given. So it helps us in the way of interpretation, right? The Christian faith obviously doesn't know really racial or cultural barriers, but make no mistake about it, all people... Every man is influenced by their culture and their upbringing, okay? I was just talking to someone earlier about their their background, their story, their family. That helps shape that person. And that's no doubt true for the recipients of this letter, of which James was originally written. And being aware of this, aware of these influences, aids us in our interpretation. And if we're going to have accurate application, Lord, I want to be a doer of your word, right? I need to properly interpret your word first. Well, as mentioned, context, context, context. Any study of hermeneutics begins there, right? Setting, people, what's going on, problems, challenges, cultural issues in hand. Now, speaking of interpretation and application of which we want to do faithfully over the next few months, for many of you, the book of James, you're not a stranger to it. You've read it before, perhaps even studied it. So, Without looking back through the book, okay, you tell me, what are some of the themes that you already know, the themes and or principles that you're familiar with in the book of James already before you look into it? What's that? Works, okay. And where does that come in? What a great follow-up to Galatians, right? Excellent. Works. What's that? Warnings against worldliness, absolutely. Faith, faith right? Works, faith, right? Chapter 2, 14 through 26. We'll wrap our arms around that. Excellent. What else? Your tongue. Yeah, yeah. World of iniquity. A fire. Joy and trials. Yeah, I know. I have uh, coming up. Verses 1 through 4, and Dusty just did a great job. I just want to cue up the la- that last sermon. Let's just re-listen to it. So I uh, have the arduous task of following up a really, really quality sermon on that already. What's that? Anything else? No impartiality. I- impartiality, right? No favoritism. Anything else? 
source of quarrels among you, right? Your passions, inner lusts. Excellent. Anything else? I don't want to cut you off. You're kind of going through the Rolodex of what you know from the book of James. You're so tempted to look through its chapters. I know. What's that? Temptation. Absolutely. All right, no doubt there's probably more, right? But you guys have already covered a great deal, right? Many, this is not a stranger to us. We've read it before, okay? Perhaps even some of you, how many of you had a, like a deep study, your past church context? Okay. Good, good number of you. Excellent, okay. Well, let's just make a couple of uh, notes regarding the book itself. I think one interesting note is when, you, when you're talking about authorship and where on earth this was written, Technically, the book of James, there's a consensus is this is probably the earliest New Testament book that was written, right? Perhaps even in the early 40s, which good biblical students then ask, well, how old is the church at this point when the book of James is written? I ask you. What's that? Okay. Very young, right? <laughs> it's a fledgling church, right? The epistle of James is a clear example of what was involved as early Christians began Acts 2.42, de- devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? What was going on in their life? What were they grappling with? What, what solutions were appropriate? These believers needed encouragement. These believers had sinful patterns that needed to be addressed, spoken into, and even corrected. And the challenges that confronted Christian living in the first century were little different from those of today. Yes, there's some caveats and differences true with the historical setting, but make no mistake about it, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, the epistle James continues, continues, continues to speak with equal force and clarity as it seeks to direct our own lives in the year of 2023 along godly scriptural patterns. The same scriptural patterns God was pleading his people to abide by and in, in the first century, he continues to speak to us in similar ways. Because the issues that we're gonna see in the book, several of which you've already mentioned, are still true and apropos for us today, right? Now, despite this interesting note on the date of authorship, I think what it is telling is that actually James, despite it being one of the earliest book, if not the earliest book written, is that it was actually really the last book to be added to the New Testament. There's a couple of reasons why for that. It, there's a consensus is, is perhaps due to its brevity, uh, perhaps due to its lack of doctrinal content. It's very... Uh, uh, didactic in wisdom, right? It speaks and flows and is flavored much like wisdom literature. It feels very different than the epistles, uh, Galatians, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and the, that gospel doctrine that was being defended at that point. It also was not written by the, one of the original 12, which we'll talk about in just a second. And it was also written to specific Jewish Christians, Right? So for these reasons and perhaps others, and yes, while it was one of the first, if not the first book written, it was the last to be added to the New Testament, okay? Now, who is this James? There's a couple of ideas, but again, for a variety of reasons, the consensus is this is James, right? 
that is the half-brother of Jesus. And James chapter 1, 1 is a great table-setting verse that we'll park just for this morning, okay? We'll cover two things specifically, James the man and James the pastor, okay? And that will tell us a lot about what was going on, but also set the table for what we're going to unpack in the weeks and months to come, okay? Let's read James 1, 1 this morning. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, what does it say? Greetings, right? James the man and James the pastor. Let's just start with James the man for a moment. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was the next oldest under Jesus. Jesus had four younger brothers, two younger sisters. And I would ask you, why is James considered the half-brother of Jesus? What is the half-status gospel significance of that very reality? He's not born of God. Very important, right? There is only one, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, while we know that, James still lived in the same household as the Lord Jesus. Pause for a moment and wrap your mind around that, right? Can you envision what life would have been like living with the God-man, Jesus Christ? Wow. Perfect. Sinless sibling. And all of the tensions of that would have potentially created playing together, competition, comparisons. Oh, the comparisons. Tracking his public ministry, hearing routinely his public ministry, his teaching. And shoot, by the time you get to the book of James, you you realize it actually resembles a large part of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It, It really serves as a practical commentary on Matthew 5 through 7, which is why when you open up James, it it even feels a little bit different than the the rest of the epistles. It it is such flavored with wisdom literature, much like the Old Testament, much like even Proverbs. And so we ask ourselves, what on earth would it have been like to have lived in the same household as the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, thankfully, friends, Scripture helps us understand the progress and process that resulted in James's life, okay? If we look at John chapter 1, verse 9, first thing that we note is that James was initially blinded by the light. John 1, 9, okay? It reads the following. There was the true light, that is Christ himself, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, right? Another passage that echoes this is Luke chapter 8, verse 19, right? Here we have an occasion where Mary and Jesus' brothers come to Jesus Christ. Jesus' public ministry has skyrocketed it's taken off and here we get a glimpse yet again into James at this point Luke chapter 8 verse 19 and his mother and brothers James included came to him and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd and it was reported to him your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you but he answered and said to them my mother and my brothers are those who do what hear the word of God 
and do it. That last line sound familiar to anyone regarding the book of James? James 1 verse 21. It's on your PowerPoint this morning. Or you can look at it in the book. But prove yourselves, what? Doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Think James was familiar with the Lord's teaching? His his brother? Absolutely. You turn to John chapter 7 verse Verse 3 through 5. When we read James as the author, it helps us to know the record that follows the author. And such knowledge of who he was and his journey opens really a window into his own heart in writing this letter. He writes, you see, from a place where failures are part of his past. And I think that's helpful to remember. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee... For he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booze, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when, when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Look at verse 5. For not even his brothers... We're believing in him. That's a tough pill to swallow, verse 5. James is part of that group. This is seven months before Christ's crucifixion, right here when we read this. Not even his brothers were believing in him. James remained an un- unbeliever in Jesus' uh, mission, right? He, he watches his brother go to the cross, not believing in who he is, which is astounding. James was originally blinded by the light. And I would ask you, well, what changed in James's life? What changed in James's life that he would now write James chapter 1, verses, verses 1 and following? Can you think of anything that changed in James's life? You tell me. Resurrection? And specifically what? Who did the Lord appear to after his resurrection? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Actually, let's start back at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you. Our pastor covered this a few weeks ago, right? Was it a few weeks ago or was that last Sunday? Resurrection Sunday? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to who? James. Specifically. Then to all the apostles. It's an interesting mention of James, right? I mean, of, of that list, James is there along with Peter. James was the recipient of the, a special post-resurrection appearance, appearance from his brother, yes, but from the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, even as Tim mentioned earlier. Now, was that the occasion of his conversion? We, we don't know. All we know is that when we see him in the upper room in Jerusalem, also with Mary and his brothers and the disciples, what are they doing? After the Lord goes to the cross, they're waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit, 
Because that's what they were instructed to do, right? Acts chapter one, verse 14. And there James literally witnesses Pentecost. These are radical things to be an observant of, right? A personal special visit from your resurrected brother, your savior, the Messiah, witnessing Pentecost. So James, who was originally blinded by the light, was brought to the light. Now he sees, now he believes. Now where that conversion took place, we really don't know, but we know at some point throughout the rest of church history, as well as a testament to the fact that this book was written, is that James, part of the group of brothers who did not believe in him, at one point in time, now was fully, fully convinced as to who his brother was, why he came to this earth, and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. So, now when we read James 1.1 again, keeping that in mind, that process in James' life, I want to read it again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there for a moment. This is a response question. What stands out to you about James' description of himself? What stands out about James' description of himself? He was not claiming to be a brother. What else? Humility, bond servant, right? When you ask why this description, there's a tremendous sense of decrease, increase in James's mind. I must decrease and he must increase, right? He says, I'm a bond servant, a do loss. <laughs> I'm a person deprived of all personal freedoms. I'm totally under the control of my master. He is the Lord and I am gladly his slave. I do his bidding. I am under his control. Now, friends, Tim, you mentioned this. This is remarkable in a world which then and now parades heredity, right? James had an immense ground to stand on on which to pull rank. He could have begun the letter saying, listen, I am James the Just from the sacred room of Mary, the congenital sibling of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a confidant to the Messiah. He could have said that in James 1.1, but he doesn't, does he? James, what? Bondservant. That should, that should strike us. Instead of pulling rank, James assumes the role of a servant. And a servant he was. History records that James was martyred in the year 62 AD. Probably wrote this around 42, 44 AD. It was noted that when he was asked who Christ was, he gladly, unapologetically, boldly said, Christ is the son of God. He was thrown down from the temple steps. He was stoned and beaten with a club and there perished. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Friends, do you think James knew the difference between superficial belief and genuine faith? Yes or no? Absolutely. So when we get to James chapter 2, we unpack that suitcase of works, faith, worthless religion. James knew this full well. 
And his life was a testament to this. Here was a man who had crossed over the line. He knows the pains of superficial faith in his own life. Prior to the cross, he knows the difference between useless religion and religion that is pure. And he has witnessed firsthand the power of the Lord, his brother, in many, many different ways. What would be an application here from this point? Just give a a pastoral encouragement yet again. Friends, I I say when we read James 1.1, James, a bondservant of the Lord, we would do well to approach this whole book with that same air of humility. If there be any blessing and a wisdom and life transformation to take place, it will come to those who come with the same degree of humility. I must decrease, he must increase, right? Because there is proverbial wisdom that is going to smack you right between the eyes, going to smack Wade Grubbs week after week after week. It will feel perhaps exhausting unless you're humble. Lord, what do you have for me this week? What part of my life do you need to assess? What do we need to put under the microscope? What blazing heat needs to come upon my, you know, my relationships, my, my use of tongue, right? Where do I show partiality or favoritism? How do I use my wealth and steward the resources I've been given? List goes on and on. Lord, is my life marked by pure, undefiled religion? The person who asks that is a humble person. If you are, if you are arrogant, you want no part of that conversation. But if you're a bondservant and gladly a bondservant, Lord, you delight to receive this instruction, right? See how it shapes the mindset, the expectation, the disposition, the spiritual posture? Look at James chapter 1, verse 21 for a moment. James 1, 21. James writes, therefore, putting aside all filthiness... And all that remains of wickedness, what does it say there? In what? Humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. There it is. In humility, receive the word implanted. We would do well to emulate this same humility as we approach the book. That is James the man, right? There's also James the pastor, okay? James, no doubt, writes with an intense and and really immense pastoral focus, right? This person who was once blinded by the light, now, after having been brought to the light, he now becomes this bearer of the light, okay? Look at James 1.1 again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to write, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. 12 tribes nation of Israel, all right? James is writing to Jewish Christians. Now, this does not mean, it does not mean that the letter doesn't equally apply to Gentile Christians, right? It's not like this is only for Jews. If you read the contents of the book, you know full well, it's just for all Jew and Gentile alike. The only real significance of identifying the original readers as Jewish is to, is to help us, right? It, much like we said at the beginning, context. It provides a, an understanding of the background out of which these readers were confronted in responding to this instruction. 
And what background is this? How does he describe the 12 tribes? You see it there in James 1.1. How are they described? What's that? They're scattered. They're dispersed abroad, right? James is writing to persecuted Christians. You know this in Israel's history, if you're remotely familiar with God's word, right? Israel's history, even going back before, but even 722 BC under the Assyrians, even to this day now has been riddled with scattering. You had the 10 Northern tribes, the two Southern tribes. And because of this, really the dynamic in play as James is writing is that Jews are scattered all over the place. They're spread everywhere. And not only the persecution and the dispersion that we know from the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament context, there's significant persecution already happening. As you open up God's word to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Herod Agrippa is, is, is causing a ruckus among God's people, among Jewish Christians. And the dynamic that was created is that oftentimes these Jewish Christians were, they would be scattered abroad and they wouldn't be taken in by their Jewish kinsmen. They would often experience rejection and and persecution from their own. And in that rejection, were left to be exploited by Gentiles. It is these homeless, battered and disenfranchised Jewish Christian brothers and sisters to whom James is writing and sending this letter. Why does James write it? Why write to Jewish Christians? James himself is Jewish. Why? It's because James is a pastor who what? Cares for the church. That is the heart of this man that is writing and being used by God to write this New Testament book. James, the pastor, cares for the church. So when you're reading instruction unit after instruction unit, and it is hard hitting, and it is convicting, provoking, and stirring, This is a man who cares for the church. We know this historically too, even outside of the book of James. See, after his conversion, James quickly becomes an established leader, even pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Even so much so that the apostles, as they were spread out, frequently preaching the gospel, what did they do? James, for one, was caring for the congregation in Jerusalem as the gospel was being spread abroad, okay? So there's that dynamic in place. He's, he's a pastor of a local church in Jerusalem. History records James as the following. Eusebius wrote this. He says, he prayed so fervently for the people that his knees grew hard like a camel. <laughs> this is a man who loved the church, He ministers from such a clearly identified and prominent role that even Peter and John and Paul, what do they do? They all report news back to who? Back to James in Jerusalem. They all send news back to Jerusalem. Acts 15, you even see James again. He joins Peter and and Paul in helping the Jerusalem Christians, right? The Jerusalem Council, Acts chapter 15, helping Jewish Christians. Christians understand that, listen, listen, and we saw it in the book of Galatians, Jews and Gentiles alike are saved the very same way, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Acts 15, verse 11. And to these Jewish Christians, what does James write? He says, greetings. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that this week, it struck me again, it just seems sort of flat. (laughs) Greetings. 
What is greetings? The greeting, greetings there, the word means to rejoice. Be glad. Now, how would have that have resonated to the 12 tribes of Israel dispersed abroad? This exhortation, this plea, rejoice, be glad. How does that land on such believers? You tell me. What's the intended effect? Encouragement, right? It's to to buoy their hearts, to lift them up, to encourage them, be glad, rejoice. And and you start to think, well, has has James lost his senses, right? He's he's writing to beat up brothers and sisters and he starts to sound kind of like Pastor Wacko, right? (laughs) Greetings to you, rejoice, be glad. But to John, the word was no mere formality, right? He expected what he wrote to gladden his readers' hearts by giving them the means to verify the genuineness of their salvation, their faith. James knew would provide great comfort to them even in their trials. And trials, no no doubt, that Satan persistently tried to use to cause them to doubt and question whether or not they were in fact children of God. James, the pastor who cares for the church, wants them to experience all the joy and all the blessing that comes from walking in that wisdom that comes from above instead of the wisdom that comes from below. He loves these people. He cares for these people. Now, for you and I, as we bridge the gap between that context and today, there's a few helpful things that we should probably mention. One, is the cultural and historical background different For the original readers, is it is for us? Well, yes, okay? Make no mistake about it, it's it's different. But that doesn't mean the book fails to apply to us, does it? They were dealing with similar problems that you and I face today. Let Let me list a few of which some of you have already articulated and tell me, are these not, uh, pernicious expressions of evil even today, right? You have participating in worthless religion. You have double-mindedness, duplicitousness, hurtful speech. This still exists today. Injustice, favoritism, abounding, right? We could go on and on. All of this is consistent and true and present even today. And so this, word, this book has very strong words for, yes, even our lives today. This is the beauty of God's word, the the timeless, eternal relevancy of his truth, right? I trust you believe that and know that. I would give you an encouragement. This book is going to be highly, highly, because of its, its wisdom flavor, because of its exhortation and instruction, it's gonna feel, it, it, it's not feel, it is highly practical, okay? So I would encourage you just to more of a, a frame of mind over the next few weeks, a couple of preparatory responses to this book in advance, okay? Be ready for one, okay? Be ready to do a number of things. Be ready to evaluate, okay? Can we do that? If we're in humility, receive the word. I wanna be ready to evaluate. Evaluate what? Okay, well, one might, perhaps it might be my salvation, okay? So that's one. Uh, Perhaps it's just evaluating your life. Just in general, as we walk through area after area, wisdom from above and what it looks like to be manifested and lived out in life, 
That's going to intersect with all sorts of discrepancies in our own life. Embrace that. Love that. Rest under that. Okay? Be ready to evaluate. Be ready to be corrected and pushed. Okay? It will speak with force. Love that force of which, out of which it speaks. And be ready to see transformative faith in your life. Change. Conforming to the image of Christ. Be ready to see a faith that works, right? And what that looks like, okay? Speaking of faith that works, I've listed just a few. We, if you can work your way through a book and kind of put things in commands or imperatives, right? There's a list on your outline. It should be this, right? You've got a few imperatives. Be joyful in trials. Do not, do not be deceived about God's goodness. Become a good hearer, doer of the word. Do not show favoritism. Show your faith by your works. Be consistent in your speech. Follow the wisdom of God. Become a friend of God. Do not speak against one another. Do not plan presumptuously. You rich should treat the poor justly. Wait patiently for the Lord's coming. Do not swear, but pray. Convert the erring brother. Right? These are the commands that will be coming at us. I would ask this morning that you commit over the next few weeks somewhere, make it your point, whether it be Saturdays, whether it be in your own devotional time, be reading the entire letter. Can we do that? Read the book of James. Keep these commands in mind as you reach through section through section. And don't forget, as you make your way through the book, be prayerful as you are doing so. Okay? Perhaps just take each command in general and just focus on that for a given week. However you want to partition that off, there's liberty in Christ. Okay? <laughs> there's freedom. All right. Excellent. We're ending a little bit early this morning. There's a couple of sections that are going to be, um, that are probably the most interpretive challenging, right? I think chapter 2, 14 through 26 is a, at the center of a lot of debates. So we'll cover that. So if you've got questions, just know we're getting there. Also in James chapter five, with the laying on of hands of elders and the healing of brothers and sisters, that's another one that's often debated, right? How do we reconcile that with our understanding of uh, revelatory gifts, miraculous gifts today, okay? We will get to that. We will get to that, just rest assured, okay? Excellent. And if you find us skipping on, over it, call us out. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We will not do that, right? No, no, we will not do that. All right, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's kindness and enjoy the rest of a beautiful morning. We look forward to the next hour. God, we thank you for this day um, in advance. We thank you, thank you, thank you for what you will do. We're grateful for this morning, the absolute stunning weather outside. You are revealing your power. You're showing off your eternal nature, your divine power. <laughs> in incredible ways through your creation. Lord, we, it's a testament to who you are. We also get to hear from you in your word. You get to reveal yourself in scripture. So what a morning and what a blessing that this day is. Lord, I pray that you would delight to uh, have your spirit uh, bring us understanding to words. We open up the book of Hebrews. Lord, be with our pastor. Give him clarity and conviction and strength as he preaches. And Lord, be with us. May we sit on the edge of our seats with a sense of attentiveness and desperation that we want to hear from the word of God. And we want to respond with singing of your praises of which you are worthy. And we want to respond by leaving this place 
and living lives which are faithful before you. If that's going to take place, it will be because you will intervene in our lives and you will prompt us to think and walk and live in ways which are honoring to you. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in this regard. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.